information about the fundraising profession that can help you be a successful fundraiser. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjukevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School, and I'm joined today by the Associate Director of the Fundraising School, my colleague, Dr. Sarah Nathan. And Dr. Nathan has been part of a research team looking at the fundraising profession, giving us empirical data that can help us develop our professional skills, and be more successful. Sarah, what yeah. has jumped out from this study that fundraisers need to know? Yeah, this is a really exciting study. Um, the first time in over 20 years that we have really taken um, a serious research look at the profession, who comes to it, how they get to it, and who comprises the profession, how they learn to be a successful fundraiser. Um, so a couple of things really stand out since the mid-1990s, which was the last time okay. a study was done of this kind. First of all, the profession has become overwhelmed overwhelmingly women mm -hmm. and overwhelmingly white women. Mm -hmm. uh, about 75% of all fundraisers are women. That's probably no surprise to us going to conferences and training classes, uh, but we have that now documented um, in the research. In the mid-1990s, it was only about 55% women. So that has been a change that we are following in the profession. Really exciting to learn that fundraisers are coming to the profession earlier earlier in, the in their career. So the average age that someone gets their first fundraising job is now 30, it used to be 33. And the median age that someone takes their first fundraising job is 27. Wow. That means that half of all fundraisers start fundraising bef at age 27 or, or younger. That's really exciting, I think, for the profession. So people are being very intentional about That's entering right. this field. That's right, that's right. But that also then means that us as organizations, we need to ensure that those fundraisers are trained well, are grounded in the knowledge of ethical fundraising. Some of them are coming to the profession now with degrees, like a degree in philanthropic studies or nonprofit management, but not all of them. Um, and just because they have that profession or that um, academic degree doesn't mean then that they need some additional training so that they can be successful and stay in the profession. Sarah, what does your research show in terms of professional development? How much are fundraisers receiving? And if I'm a fundraiser thinking about talking to my supervisor, mm -hmm. what should I be asking for from my nonprofit? Um, well, one of the questions that we asked was, how did you learn to do fundraising? And no surprise, fundraisers told us that they learned in a variety, way, a variety of ways. So some of them are learning more through formal education. That's great. Uh, we're happy about that here at the Lilly Family School. Mm. Um, but many of them, great majorities of them, said that they still learn through conferences and workshops and training courses like we offer here, um, and that they desire more opportunities to learn, um, and that that is something that can help them stay in a job. So when they are afforded those opportunities to learn and grow in the profession, they are more likely to stay at, at one employer for longer. Um, so that would be, I think, the case for support mm -hmm. uh, for more professional education is, I will, if you c invest a little bit in me, I'll stay at the organization longer. You talked also about the lack of diversity in our field, primarily mm -hmm. female, primarily Caucasian. Yeah. So now I'm in the other seat. I'm in the hiring position. Yeah. What can I do to try to increase the diversity amongst my fundraising staff? Yeah, there's no easy um, answer, answer to that. And I think that many of the things the nonprofit sector has been trying for the last 20 years is, is not working uh, because the profession is still predominantly white. Uh, but we do think that some more intentional um, efforts at where you're recruiting 
um, and supporting diverse fundraisers, you know, again, through that training piece um, and helping them be successful and helping young um, individuals be introduced to this profession in the first place before they're even in the job market uh, might be some things that we can, we can work on. Um, and certainly we've talked about this in our own team is advertising these positions um, in not your usual market or not your us usual newspaper, yeah. not your usual networks. And that is one, one thing that we can do to um, try to reach diverse audiences. What has your research found in terms of salary and benefits? Whether I'm that person in the hiring chair mm. saying, hmm, I need to make sure I'm paying a competitive wage here to treat people well and yeah. so that my people stay. And then also when I'm applying for that job, you know, what are my colleagues making and what is the market paying? Mm. What does your research show in that regard? Um, yeah, so we do have some of that data of what of what fundraisers um, are making, and that is available in the white paper on our, on our website. Um, we know that this is a very competitive job market, and that salary is or that mission is not enough to keep people. So nonprofits do need to offer a competitive salary. So it's important, whatever job market you're in or whatever regional market that you're in, to know what. Um, the average pay is for fundraisers um, because it is a very competitive job market. Um, that said, we, we still know that women are at a disadvantage in the job market. Male fundraisers who, uh, even when we hold constant age, education level, time in the field, are still making more than women fundraisers, which is concerning considering that the profession is 75% women. Uh, but this is not a problem unique to fundraising, unfortunately. This is a problem uh, across the, the US labor market. Uh, so being kind of aware of one's um, experience and how that positions you as a fundraiser to you know, ask for the salary that you think is reasonable um, and that you're worth. Yeah, it's a point well taken and well mm -hmm. stated. What about in terms of staying on the job? I mean, yeah. there's sort of this uh, kind of word on the street yeah. that fundraisers are moving around all the time. And once I have a successful fundraiser, she's just going to move on to the next nonprofit, the larger nonprofit. What do your, your data show? Yeah, this is certainly a hot button issue uh, in the profession. Uh, we have now tracked, uh, comparing fundraisers from the mid-1990s till today, uh, that, that uh, tenure, so time in a position, is actually improving. It's stable or maybe slightly improving, and that it is better than the word on the street. Hmm. So you will, you've probably heard fundraisers don't stay more than two years. Uh, let me get my numbers here, just so I, I am sure. Mm -hmm. um, so we have documented that f male fundraisers average about five years per job. Mm -hmm. So significantly more than the 18 months that you've heard on the street. Uh, women spend about four, uh, four years per fundraising job. Again, better than the, the two year on the street. Um, when individuals have about 10 years of experience, their tenure goes up pretty significantly. And that would make sense as we have more experience, we're more established in the profession, uh, we are more likely to stay longer. And that's true of lots of careers, not just fundraising. Um, but I do want to note that the average, the national average for all employee tenure mm -hmm. is 4.2 years. Right. So changing jobs every four years, every three to five years, this is normal market behavior. Right. Yeah, that's a great point. And so it seems unfair to me that we are, you know, always 
um, saying there's something wrong with fundraising because people don't stay very long. And it sounds like you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, that you know somebody who's there 10 years is going to stay a very long time, that there's some type of an inflection point, that mm-hmm. if I can get somebody to stay long yeah. enough, yeah. I've increased my chances that they're going to stay even longer. That's and right. so what, again, to summarize, are some of those keys uh, to help us as leaders mm-hmm. maintain our fundraising staff. Mm-hmm. What can I be doing in terms of, of course, paying an equitable wage, but Absolutely. what are some other things that uh, that we can be thinking about as we think about our fundraising Yeah, teams? so some of the things fundraisers say um, uh, compels them to stay longer uh, is that they feel that they're rewarded equally. So that's some of compensation, but other opportunities for advancement are really important uh, to fundraisers. They feel like they are supported by their supervisor and that they have a fit with the organization. And um, so kind of paying attention to those things inside of your organization, the organizational culture and support for employees is really important to help them stay longer. So as you can see, Dr. Sarah Nathan is an accomplished researcher and also an accomplished teacher as she translates that research for us in very practical ways. In fact, the title you like to use for yourself (laughs) is Pracademic, and uh, you've demonstrated that so well again today. Uh, Sarah teaches many of our courses for the fundraising school. You've heard her on our quarterly webinars. She's a featured speaker at so many national and regional conferences, and we hope that you'll take advantage of her expertise as well as the expertise of our entire school. Uh, Our courses are listed on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. You'll find this fundraising profession study in the research tab. You'll find information about our courses in the professional development tab, as well as information again about those quarterly webinars and this weekly podcast. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school.